Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I ask that you would help me to preach this morning. I pray that you would take my words and speak through them, that you would take our minds and think through them, and that you would take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your son, Jesus, in whose name I ask this. Amen. Please be seated. Our perception of time is relative. If you're having a good time, if you're having fun, you say time flies. Time flies when we're having fun. If you're in a very boring situation, it can seem like time doesn't move at all. As a uh, young engineering student, I had the opportunity to serve uh, three semesters in a paid co-op job with the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. Sounds like an exciting place to be, I'm sure. And the first semester I was there, I worked for a crunchy old engineer who was just punching the clock, and we sat at two drafting tables right next to one another, and he gave me 40 hours a week of busy work that was useless. And I sat there looking out the window, wondering when it was going to end. I look over at the clock, and, and it was like one, two, three... And every time I looked at the second hand, it got slower and slower. It was dragging along. And you know that. You know that experience. We've all had it. The thing about Advent that I like so much is it calls our attention to the passage of time. Is it relatively slow? Is it quick? What is going on right now in your life personally? And are you aware of where we are in history, where it's heading? So right now, um, in Advent, things like Amazon purchasing causes us to think about the date. If I buy this by this date, will it make it to their house by Christmas? We have uh, four candles on our wreath uh, that are fighting the wind this morning, and surprisingly, one is still lit. Um, At home, after the first week, my first candle is halfway down, and now today I get to light the second one. And we're watching those diminish. It's a counting down tool that is leading us toward Christmas. We're also in a season of the year where the days are still getting shorter, a couple minutes each day as we head toward the winter solstice. This is a season and a time of awareness of the passage of time. And the lectionary readings that are prescribed for Advent also point us toward where history is headed. They point us to the coming of Christ, both his first coming and his second coming, but not in that order. Last week's text and this week's text are about Christ's return when at the end of this age, he will return and put all things right. And the next week and the following week, we look at his first coming when he came and was born among us in Bethlehem, and it leads us into Christmas. History is going somewhere. It is not circular. Christ's first coming points ahead to a second coming. The things that happen in this life matter. We're not just passing the time. We're actually using it and hopefully investing it. Now, last week, I told you that the early church used an Aramaic word, Maranatha, which uh, they transliterated over into the Greek and would often pray it. And it means, our Lord come. It was a prayer inviting the second coming. And in today's text from Second Peter, he uses the word hastening, quickening, that the Christians were longing for Christ's return to come quickly. They were praying for that, come, our Lord, come quickly. But it's also called a day of judgment. In verse 7 of the passage, it says that God's word of the heavens and the earth is that it now exists and is being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment 
and destruction of the ungodly. And when you read that, you think, do I want to hasten that day along? Do I want it to come quickly? A day of judgment. Well, when you're in the midst of injustice or you're suffering in some way, you hasten the judge to come. Come and give me justice. Put this right, Lord. And it's helpful to know that the Apostle Peter wrote two letters, and they were written to the scattered Christians around Asia Minor, the region that's now modern-day Turkey up in that area. And his first letter, he writes to them to encourage them because they're struggling, they're suffering, they're being persecuted, and they're in the minority. It's a small, fledgling church, a bunch of them that are, that are they're growing, but they're growing under pressure. And he's encouraging them to remain steadfast. Now, the first part of chapter 3 of the second letter that he writes, they're also being mocked. They're being mocked because they fully expected that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime before they died. And obviously, we know that when he said he would come back in this generation, he meant the age that we're presently in, not the literal lifespan of the ones who first heard him. Because it's been 2,000 years, and he hasn't come back yet. So the people that were around and and knew what these Christians thought were mocking them. Where's your Lord? Maybe he's not coming at all. It says this in verse 4. These scoffers, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers, meaning the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, history's not going anywhere. It's just going to keep being like it is. Nothing is different. It doesn't matter. And then he goes on, he says, but they overlook deliberately this fact that the heavens existed long ago and earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. In other words, there was a point in history where there was no history. There was a point before. It was in the beginning, the very first words of scripture. In the beginning, God created, and he did it by speaking his word. And he spoke his word and brought everything into creation, the very earth that you're sitting on right now, all of it. He spoke it into creation, and he ordered it. So he separated the water from the land. And Peter goes on and he says, it was by the word of God that the water was separated from the land. And they deliberately overlooked this historical fact. It was by the word of God that he brought the water forth and flooded the earth and wiped everyone out in the days of Noah. And he says... Don't forget that, because by the word of God, the earth is being prepared for a fire. It's going to be purged. It's going to be made, it's going to be remade into a new earth and a new heavens. And right now, he says, it's being kept until the day of judgment. So all of a sudden, you want to ask the question, is God slow? Do you want him to hurry? And what Peter says is that he's not slow. He's patient. He's not slow. He's patient. He says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand, like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so what we find here is that the Lord is not slow. He's being patient so that everyone will come to repentance. Everyone will come back to him. Everyone will understand the truth of where things are headed and who is God and who's at the center of the universe. If you've ever had the experience of being in a final exam and 
running out of time. You're, you're feverishly writing your answers down and you're looking at the clock and the seconds are going faster and faster and faster. And the professor looks up and sees that everyone in his test is still writing. And he says, you know what? I can see that you guys are still working. I'm going to add 15 more minutes on. That is such a gift, right? The Lord is not slow. He's patient. He's waiting. He's adding more time so that all will come to repentance. I think that when Peter mentioned that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day for the Lord, I think he was reading Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, or at least it's written in his name. It's a Psalm of Moses, it says. And Psalm 90 helps us get a heart of wisdom, especially when it comes to our interpretation and perception of time and its passage. The Psalm starts out this way. It says, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you return, you say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years in God's sight are as a day. A little further down it says, for all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. So he asks, the psalmist asks this question. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then catch this. The psalmist says, return, O Lord. How long? Even so, come. When will you come? How long? Come. Have pity on your servants. You see, the psalmist understands that God is patient, that he is merciful, that he is good. Yes, he's bringing justice, but it's good news for those who know him, for those who have the heart of wisdom, that have God's perspective. Christ's return brings into play for us two human instincts. The first one is this. We each have a longing for justice. In your heart, you have a longing for justice, and this starts at the earliest age. We all know the kid, yourself or someone else, crying out, it's not fair, right? That is instinctive sense of right from wrong and what is just and what is not just. Now, of course, we always skew it in terms of our advantage, but we understand that there is some sense of fairness, and whatever's going on, that's not fair, we will say. Or C.S. Lewis speaks about this when he starts into his book, Mere Christianity, that this is what he calls the law of nature, meaning human nature, that we have this understanding of right from wrong. And so we say things like, hey, wait, I was here first. What do you mean by cutting in the front of the line? You shouldn't do that. Well, why not? Like, where does that sense of the rules come from? Or I gave you some of my orange, you should give me some of yours. Well, why? Where does that come from? Well, we instinctively have a sense of justice in our souls, in our hearts. I I recently heard a story of a woman who did something very creative in her workplace to try and build teamwork. And the boss of that department took credit for the work and then took that work to another area and took credit for it there as well and never mentioned whose idea it was. And I heard that and I thought, that's not right. 
I want justice. Bring justice. We should tell everybody about that and make her look bad and whatever, right? That, that strikes at our inner sense of justice. And we look out at the world and we see that things are not right in so many places. So what are you going to do about it? Well, what people typically do are one or two things. One, they just simply harden their hearts by ignoring that stuff. When they see somebody else suffer injustice, they close their eyes, move on. Just look out for yourself. Try and, try and stay on the positive side of injustice and don't worry about it. But to do that, you have to harden your heart. You have to live for yourself and you have to ignore a world that's suffering. The other thing that people often do with really good intentions is they try to fix the world. I'm going to go and win justice. I'm going to give my life in pursuit of restoring what has been broken. And the problem with that is despair inevitably comes because the work is huge. It's overwhelming. I listened to a um, concert this weekend on YouTube that Dave Matthews performed just by himself for COVID. He was in his, in his little recording studio by himself. And in between each one of his songs, he would talk a little bit about things that mattered to him. And he was talking about the problems in the world in kind of a weird Dave Matthews way. He, started, he, was, he was hung up on the concept of greed. He kept talking about greed. But even in his voice, you could hear that there was despair, that he had no solution he just wanted to see greed go away from the world because he thought that would help things, which it would, but he didn't know how to do it. And you could tell he's just been talking about it and was tired. Despair is what happens if we try to solve the world's problems in our own strength and our own power. I'm sharing that because it's actually a good thing that Christ will come back. Because when he comes back, he actually has the power to restore everything. Yes, we must work for justice, but understanding that our efforts are very limited. Because at the end of the day, it's a heart problem, and only God can fix a heart. And when Christ comes back, he will fix everything. Christ's return will bring justice. And that's a scary thought, because what if I'm on the causing side of injustice? What if I'm part of the problem? Well, that leads me to the second basic uh, human instinct that we're born with, and that is a self-centeredness. One of the first five words that every kid learns is me, or mine, along with no. Right, self-asserting oneself. And this isn't all bad because we were actually, by God, given dominion. We were given charge over some area, starting with our own physical body. The first thing that a child learns is mine. No, I can do this. And they will learn to exert dominion over the things that they can have control over. And this grows in time. Eventually, you have personal property. You have relationships. You have authority in this world. You do have control over your physical body. You have a number of things that you're in control of. But the problem is, it makes us think that we are the center of the universe. That I look at everything else, and I'm the very core and center of it. And everything else revolves around me. I want to be my own Lord. I'm the center. Now, what's amazing about Christ is that he actually makes repentance possible. He actually comes, he, the one who is the center of everything, comes as a servant and dies so that I can be forgiven, so that you can be forgiven, so that I can repent of being my own Lord or wanting to be my own Lord and actually put him back rightfully on his throne and then coming under him to serve him. God is patient. He's not slow, as some count slowness. He's patient so that all can reach repentance. The Lord took our guilt on the cross so that we could confess our sins and be forgiven. So that when he comes and does bring justice to the world, he's already dealt with our sin. So that we're, we're given 
the blessing of his presence and he's already taken away our sin. In the first coming, Jesus came in a meek way, in a lowly way. But in his second coming, it's referred to as the day of the Lord. This is what verse 10 says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord. It's his day. It's his big day. He's going to come with glory and power and justice. And it's an invitation but it's also going to force everyone to rightfully put him at the center. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow in that day. John the Baptist knew his place from the beginning. John the Baptist came and preached and he said this. This was in our gospel reading, Mark Mark 1, verse 7. He preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this? That Jesus is coming, that he's going to come back in great power, and he's inviting us to repent and to come under his lordship, give our lives to him, work for his kingdom, serve him. What does Peter say we ought to do? Well, in the rest of this epistle, there's a couple of things, but one is that hastening the coming of the day is a good thing to do to want him to come, to pray for the Lord to return. In verse 12, hastening the coming. In verse 14, then, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. I had a professor one time who no longer teaches at the school where I was. Uh, I was in a Bible study with him, and he said that he didn't think Second Peter should be in the Bible. He said it just isn't worthy of the canon because it puts too much works on the person. It's not about grace enough. I stopped going to that Bible study after that morning because I thought it was pretty presumptuous to decide what should be in the canon of scripture. But I can understand why he might be tempted to think that. The Apostle Peter is telling us throughout Second Peter a lot of things that we're supposed to do. Beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Well, that's putting some work on us. It's, it's the call to sanctification. If you've come to know Christ as your Lord and received the gift of his death on the cross and his forgiveness, now he's inviting you to grow into Christ's likeness, to become like him. Because this is, as I said, history is going somewhere. We are being prepared now to be in the glorious presence of Christ the King forever. And in that presence, there is no sin. So whatever in my life is a spot or a blemish has to go away. It cannot stand there. And so he invites us into the work of becoming more and more like him. We're calling this sermon series, Advent, a season of transformation. Because indeed it is. It's an opportunity to grow in the Lord. To ask the Lord, what things in my life would you like to heal? And then the question for us that Second Peter addresses is, what part do I have in that healing work? What can I do to facilitate it? Well, be diligent to be spotless. So look at the spots, ask the Lord to help you with them, and by his grace, grow more and more. And then verse 17, he says this, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. In other words, if you're around people who are despairing of the injustices of the world, if you're hanging out with people who are questioning the authority of the scriptures, if you're hanging around with people who said, time is just moving on, it's not going anywhere, it's all the same, just live for yourself, 
They might not explicitly say it like that, but they say it in other ways. If you're hanging out with people like that, stop hanging out with people like that. Invite them to come and be part of what you're part of, which is the kingdom of God. Invite them to be part of Advent and, and hastening the coming of Jesus. And I would add a, a third thing, or a fourth thing, in addition to those. You know, hasten the coming, be diligent to be spotless, and be careful not to be led astray by lawless people who don't believe. I would add a fourth thing from Psalm 90, which is ask God, pray for the heart of wisdom to get his perspective on time. Oh Lord, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom, recognizing that time is moving from God's perspective. God is not slow. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So this morning, I invite you to put him at the center of your life and get yourself out of that place. Repent of your sin, ask him to be your Lord, and ask him to show you what spots he wants to remove in your life this Advent. And he'll come and do that. We're going to sing a sermon response song, It Is Well With My Soul. And it does speak to the finished work of Christ, that because of what Christ has done for us, even though things are not fully set right in this life, our soul can be at a place of peace. We can be, it can be well with our soul because we are right with God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'll invite you to uh, stand and join in singing. Lord, I thank you for the hope that comes along with Advent. I thank you for the perspective on time it gives us. Lord, we look ahead with eager anticipation of your return. We want to see you come and be acknowledged as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Lord, help us to make you the King of our heart. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. I invite you to stand now for a sermon response song.